0: I invite you to take your Bible tonight and open up to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. A number of weeks ago, before I went on holidays, we looked at chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Now, um, after tonight, there's just one more message, and chapter 3 is going to be done. And then two or three messages after that, and the whole book of Philippians is finished. And so. Um, We are starting to come to the end of this uh, marvelous little book. We've been following J. Vernon McGee's homespun outline of this wonderful book by chapter title only. That's all we've done. And as we've gone through the verses, we've come up with our own uh, commentary on that. But uh, J. Vernon McGee has a nice little four-point outline naming each chapter. And so we've sort of used that a little bit. Chapter 1 was the philosophy of Christian living. Chapter 2 was the pattern for Christian living. And Chapter 3, the prize for Christian living. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we looked at verses 1 to 3 and we entitled that Christian Beware. The local church is a body of Christ and we are the members in particular and we need to keep our guard up. Why is that? So as to protect the unity of the faith and that we may serve our glorious head, Jesus Christ. Tonight, Paul gives us a little bit of an autobiography on himself. And so tonight we're going to look at Paul's little autobiography. Let's ask the Lord to to bless this study. Heavenly Father, we bow bow at your sovereign throne, and we thank you for all of your marvelous kindness and goodness to us. Why, even today, Lord, you've protected every one of us. You've kept us alive and our hearts beating and everything working the way it should. And we thank you, Lord, for your tender mercy and watch care. We ask you, please, to allow us to get into this chapter a little more, learning something, perhaps, of the life of Paul, but more than that, learning the will of God for our lives. Please bless us and help our hearts to be warmed up by the time it's finished so that we might properly come before your throne in prayer. And so please bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this chapter is called The Prize for Christian Living. And in going for the prize, God wants that God wants to give all of us, let's not forget that. We not only have to keep our guard up, like we learned in verses 1, 2, and 3, but we also have to keep thinking the right way. And here's an area that it's so easy for any of us to go astray on, is our thinking. And we try to think the best thoughts we can, usually, based upon the information we have, and we try to make decisions and things. But you know You look at your track record, and often it's fraught with mistakes and things that you said, boy, you know, if I had to do that over, I'd sure do it differently. That's kind of the way we are. And we have to protect somehow our thinking, because it's so easy to go the wrong way. Now, in Paul's life, at one time, he actually thought he had life all figured out. And he figured he knew what he wanted in life, and he went after it with all his gusto, but you know, all of that changed. It changed. And so he writes now in this chapter in Philippians, this little three-point autobiography, if you will. And so point number one is simply what Paul thought he wanted. What he thought he wanted. Look at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man... Any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul begins by telling us that he really did have a really good religious start in life. Now in verse 5, he says he circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know anything about the tribes of Israel, Benjamin was notable. It was from that tribe that King Saul in the Old Testament, the very first king, came from. He says in verse 5 now something interesting, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's how he referred to himself. And Hebrew of the Hebrews. You say, what does that mean? It was like Paul was saying that he was actually an icon of the Jewish faith at that time. It was like he was the face of Judaism. He was an up-and-coming leader. Uh, his um, his life was amazing as he studied at the feet of Gamaliel and made all the right connections in life. And he, as it were, hitched his wagon to a star. and He was the rising star. He goes on, he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee. If you know anything about the Pharisees, you know that they were very strict. Very strict company. Very orthodox. In verse 6, he says, concerning zeal... Persecuting the church. Paul not only talked religion, he went about to the extreme. He really took it as far as it could be taken in his day. And that meant persecuting the church whom they considered their enemy. Preaching that this Jesus was the Messiah. Pulling people away from Judaism. And so he he had no... Uh, qualms he had made no bones about it he went after the believers he persecuted the church then he says in verse 6 touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless that doesn't mean that he was sinless it means that he did everything he knew to be right according to how he understood the Old Testament laws Paul was as sincere as a man could possibly get in his religion And here's the point. If Paul had not gotten saved, if he had continued on this pathway, he most likely would have ended up being the greatest Pharisee that ever lived. In the eyes of men, some men anyhow, he would have not only earned their respect, he would have been greatly envied. He would have been idolized. He would have been feared and adored he had and would have gotten more of what we call rock star status. He was an amazing man. However, in the eyes of God, if he had become the the greatest Pharisee, he would have been the greatest hypocrite. He would have become the, the biggest serpent that ever lived. And so one day while trying to persecute Christians, Paul actually met Jesus Christ on the road to a city called Damascus. And Paul got saved. And now he experienced a renewing of his mind. And he wrote about that later in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And he began to see life differently. And you know what? Life changes when people get saved. How many have experienced that? Raise your hand. Isn't that the truth? Before you're saved, You think you've got some idea of what life is about, and then you get saved. And oh my, how the light bulb really comes on. And like what John Newton said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It's a night and day difference, isn't it? And no one that comes to the light ever wants to go back to darkness. No one who gets saved ever wants to go back to the creepy life that they crawled out of when they came to the cross and asked Jesus to save them. And Paul was no different. So true. A lot of people, before they're saved, have these inflated ideas of what they think life is all about. And to many people, they think money is what life is all about. For some others, maybe they think fame and popularity or possibly power in politics. That's what life is all about. For others, it would be pleasures. Maybe uh, alcohol, sex, drugs. For some people, sports. That's why they're called fanatics. It's an extended form of the word fan. They're fanatics. When these people get saved, all of a sudden, they start thinking differently. And that's what happens. And so, point number one in our simple little biography, actually Paul's autobiography, is Paul, what Paul thought he wanted. And these were things that he really thought he wanted. But then he got saved. And it brings us to point number two of his little autobiography, what Paul realized he had and what he realized that he was getting. In verse 7, he says here, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. So in other words, all of the gains that Paul had made up to that point in his life, and maybe he was somewhere around 30 years of age. There's some dispute as to how old he may have been at that time he got saved. But everything that he once thought was a feather in his cap or a jewel in his crown or another stripe, you know, on his arm there. Everything he thought was gain. Boy, it wasn't gain anymore. Now he accounts for it as a loss. Not a gain, but a loss. People who do bookwork and accounting, they know all about profits and losses. And Paul did a little bit of bookworking here and he started reworking the books. And he started to realize that these things that he had put in the profit column, they weren't profit at all. They had to go over in the loss column. These were losses, not profits. And so all those gains that Paul had were really nothing but incredible losses. If you remember the story Jesus told us in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man who died and went to hell, that rich man learned too late that all of the things in life that he thought were great gain were nothing but great losses. All of his wonderful wealth did nothing but bind him up in chains and and head wrappings and body wrappings and, and hold him tight and keep him from getting saved. And in hell, he had thoughts about life back on earth. In hell, he thought about his five brothers. In hell, He made the appeal to Abraham to send Lazarus back to talk to his five brothers so that they wouldn't come to this horrible place. And I think there are people in hell like that. They may not want to be in heaven, but they sure don't want to be in hell. And they don't want anyone else to come, or any of their loved ones at least, to come. So the rich man in hell When he was still alive, he thought that all his riches were gained, but then he died and realized that all they were were losses. Solomon, after he was firmly established in the kingdom, he decided that he would set himself to acquiring things, lots of them, all kinds of things. And no person in the whole world was able to do it to such extreme as he was. And so that's what he did. And he gave himself gung ho over to the acquiring of things and singers and all kinds of gardens that he built for himself. And he acquired all kinds of gold and had things made for him. Things, things, things. And then finally, one day, he realized vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. All of the things, these things that he thought would be gain, ended up being loss. It's amazing, you know, you spend your life collecting a lot of stuff, and then you come to retire, and the first thing you think of is downsizing. You've got to start getting rid of some of these things. Things, things, things. And so you hold garage sales, and you sell things on Craigslist. You start giving things away. To get rid of the things that at one time you would not have gotten rid of, but now they're not as important. Isn't that the way it goes? Downsizing. You know, likewise, there are many people today that seem to think that their job or their career is what life is all about. That these things are great gains. And even some Christian people can make this mistake in thinking that the job that they go to or the career that they've plugged themselves into and trained for and worked and slaved for, that these things are great gains. But you know what? Unless Jesus Christ is their reason for getting up in the morning and going to work, you know what? It's all loss. It's nothing but wood, hay, and stumble. If Jesus Christ is not the reason for getting up in the morning and going about the day. All this stuff, it's not a profit, it's a loss. So now Paul is realizing what he had, what, what he once thought was great. Now he's realizing what he's got is not so great. And he goes on, in fact, in verse 8, he says, yea, doubtless, without a doubt, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And literally what Paul was saying was that anything that stands in between him and getting to know Jesus better, anything, is nothing but loss. Does that make sense? That was his thinking. This is how his mind changed. He never used to think that way. He used to think that the the Pharisaic sect or religion part of Judaism, that that was the way to go. And that persecuting the church was the thing to do. Of course, all the other things that went along with it. Um, He goes on and says in verse verse 8 here, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And boy, that was true. Paul suffered the loss of all things. When he got saved, all of his worldly associates, They all left him. His career um, as a Pharisee was over. His reputation was shot. Family members would have nothing to do with him. Any riches he might have had soon were gone. No cash flow. Wow. It goes back to this previous sentence. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. How do you feel about that? Is that the kind of statement that you think you would like to make? Is that the sort of way of thinking? Because that's what we're talking about here tonight. The last um, message in verses 1 to 3, we talked about Christian beware. We've got to keep our guard up. But here tonight in this portion, verses 4 to 11, we're talking about our thinking And we have to keep our thinking going the right way because it's so easy to go astray in our thinking. And we live in a world that just seems to convince us from every side that we have to go for the ways of the world and the thinking of the world and the money and the careers of the world and what the world puts its priority on. And we seem to be bombarded all around in everything that we hear and read and the testimony of others. And so it's, It's a very convincing argument that they make upon us that we need to walk the way of the world. But yet this is a mistake. There's another way that we can walk and that's the pathway of faith. And if we will follow the Lord and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things shall be what? Added unto you. God will be pleased to add to you all of the things you need and God is a good God. He, he gives you extra as well because he's a wonderful God. When my wife and I were married, we went down to Miami, Florida on our honeymoon and we found a, a little Italian ice cream shop. And this was a really small shack. This was small. But the guy, he was a real happy Italian guy. And when he found out we were on our honeymoon, whoa, he was so happy for us. We bought ice cream cones and he, he gave me one with a scoop. And then to my wife, he gave a scoop and a scoop and one more scoop. And all for the same price. Oh, no, so no problem. That's for you on your honeymoon, he, he said. You know, God is like that. He loves us so much that He wants to give us not just one scoop, but He'll give us an extra and sometimes even an extra on top of that. God is so good. He is a good God. And He just requires us to seek Him first and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. And yet the world is out there trying its best to convince us, don't go that way. That's the fool's way. Go this way. This is tried and true. But yet all you have to do is look at the carnage and the wreckage of human life all along the pathway of the world, and you know they they don't got the answer. They're just following the, the carrot on the stick, and that's what some farmers used to do with their dumb donkey that they had trouble with. They'd put a hang a, dangle a carrot on the end of a stick and the donkey would see the carrot and keep trying to walk toward the carrot, get the carrot. Meanwhile, the farmer's back there uh, with his uh, loaded uh, cart and the donkey's pulling the cart or pulling a, a plow or something in the field. Donkey doesn't realize he's never going to get that carrot on the end of the stick. And that's the way of the world. And many of them, they have the philosophy of fake it till you make it. And they try and present themselves as having been successful, but they're not. All they got is a suit. That's it. And they they come and they show and they, oh, I'm successful. I'm big and successful. And they pull out some big, fat, smelly old cigar. Yeah, that's the only cigar they own. Or they found it or someone gave it to them. They're as broke as can be. A lot of people who do have a lot of wealth have horrible lives. And uh, sad, but on the inside of those um, palatial homes in which they live, there's fighting and screaming and bickering and things like that. And really it goes right back to the thinking. The thinking is all wrong. And so we have to be on guard to keep our thinking going the right way. And look again in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, if you really believed that, like Paul really believed that, you wouldn't let anything get in between you and the prayer closet tomorrow morning. You would count it as loss. You'd go for the prayer closet. You wouldn't let anything come in between you and going to church. You'd say, oh, sorry, Aunt Matilda comes to visit you on a Sunday morning. She's just in out of town. Oh, Aunt Matilda, love you. Come to church with us. "Ah, I'm not into that messy stuff. Oh, sorry, I am. I'll see you after church. We'll go out to lunch together. Here, you can wait here in the living room if you like. If we really believed this uh, verse 8 here, we wouldn't let anything stand in our way. But then he finishes verse 8, and he really nails this, doesn't he? He says, And do count them but dung. You know what dung is. There's other words which we won't use, but dung is excrement. It's a waste matter that's ejected from a living body. That's what dung is. Back in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was commissioned of God to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, there was a number of gates, walls and gates, that had to be set up. And one of the gates in chapter uh, 3 and verse 13 was called the dung gate, D-U-N-G the dung gate in Jerusalem. And that was the gate through which they would carry all of the garbage, all of the waste and the excrement and stuff like that. It was known as the dung gate. In your home, you have a, a container that you put trash and garbage. Usually, in a kitchen, the lady will, underneath the sink, <clears throat> she'll have a, a little container there that she'll throw garbage in. How many here have one of those underneath the kitchen sink? Oh, that's a good number, yeah. That's very common, isn't it? There are certain common things we do in our homes. One of them is we put little pictures that the kids make up on the refrigerator. That's what the fridge is for, to hold food and to hold pictures that our children make. And we put pictures, sometimes calendars, up there as well. Underneath the sink. We often put that little garbage container. Now, maybe yours is beside or across the, you know, the, the the floor or something like that. But you have one, two, three of these things in your home. Some people have half a dozen. Some people have a dozen, depending on how many rooms and kids they have and different parts of the home. And um, we need them, don't we? These little garbage cans. Well, that's sort of what the dung gate was all about. And they would carry all their garbage through there and they would burn it outside the city. And so what Paul here was saying, that in his mind, anything and everything that stood between him and Jesus Christ was garbage. It was refuse. It was dung. And he didn't want it around. Get rid of it. There are some things in life that you just get rid of. The wrappings that things come in are garbage after they've served their purpose. That, that's it. Out they go. There's a lot of garbage that we, we get rid of. So in Paul's little autobiography, he began by telling us what he thought he wanted. And then he told us what he realized that he had. And so now the third point, Paul tells us what he really wants now. This is what he really wants in verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, Paul had been trying to earn God's favor by keeping the Ten Commandments and by doing all the other religious requirements as he understood them in the Old Testament. He was trying to do all that and that would have been His righteousness. You see, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Works do not save a man. Our poor misguided friends in the Christian cult such as the J-Dubs, they go out and stand on the street corners, they knock on doors, they go to their Bible studies. All in hopes of piling up more brownie points so as to please God. And that's no different than any other religion of works where they light candles and say many prayers. Some of them get baptized for all of the members of their family and all of the members of their family and their family's family and so on. All in an effort to try and to please the Almighty. And the world is full of religions like that. And Paul... Went right along with it. And so he gave up that practice. He gave that up. So he goes on in verse 9. He says, But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So we came to a point of realizing that he had been messing with fool's gold. That's all it was. You know what fool's gold is? It's those rocks that have the sparkly in them that look like gold, but it's not real gold. I used to know the name of that, the chemical symbols and stuff. Do you remember it, Bob? Pyrite, that's it, yeah. I used to even know the chemical symbol of that. Yeah, I've forgotten all of that. (laughs) We'll talk about it after. (laughs) Yeah, fool's gold. I think they, uh, they rightly named that stuff because a lot of people... Have that, uh, they, they had gotten that and they thought, I'm rich, I'm rich. Only to find out, no, you're not rich at all. Big difference, isn't there? Big difference. They say not all that glitters is gold. And that's absolutely true. We have to keep our thinking right. And so Paul figured he'd been messing with the wrong stuff. The fool's gold. And he found that real gold is only found in Jesus Christ. That's the only place for it and you know it's easy to get our thinking off and to start believing some of the lies of the world you know and their get rich quick schemes and all of their you know get happy quick and find love in an instant and all kinds of baloney that they slop around so what he he really wanted now was the real gold that's only found in jesus christ verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now this power is what successful Christian living is all about. Without the power, you cannot live successfully for Christ. You can live unsuccessfully for Christ and you can live successfully for the world, the flesh and the devil, but you cannot live successfully for Christ without the power. The power I believe is connected with Christ and the way that, we get it is when he gives it to us and the way that he gives it to us as we get to know him and anything that stands in between us and getting to know him has got to go it's got to go because the devil will throw everything he can in between you and a deeper richer fuller knowledge and experience of jesus christ he'll keep you from reading your bible he'll keep you from praying you commit a sin and he'll jump all over you and say well you're too sinful to pray now. And he'll make you feel so guilty that you're not worthy to pray and you're not worthy to read the Bible. And Oh, I don't think I could get anything out of it today. I'm not very close to the Lord. Listen, that's the crazy because you need it all the more. You need reading and you need praying to fix that problem. But you see how clever the devil is. Anything he possibly can. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will... Tell you to give a word of witness to to someone, maybe a friend or a relative. Tell them about Jesus. And soon as that comes in your heart, you'll have the devil telling you, don't do it. Don't do it because you'll make a fool of yourself. They'll ask you questions you don't have the answers to. They'll They'll think little of you. They'll cut you out of their will. He's got all kinds of reasons that he'll just throw in your way. So anything that gets in between you and that intimacy with Christ and knowing him, it's got to go. It has to go. And as it goes, you see, God rewards us. There's the power. And this power is there to overcome sin, power to overcome bad habits, power to motivate men, power to move mountains. Jesus told us in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All power is given unto me. And as we are connected with him, that power flows in and through us. And that's why some Christians are so much more powerful in prayer, in Bible, in spiritual depth and understanding, in witnessing, in service. They're so much more powerful. How'd they get that way? It's their unity with Jesus Christ. And so he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now watch this. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Suffering is a word that we don't like. And we try to avoid it every way we possibly can. And to a degree, you ought to avoid suffering. When you get up in the middle of the night and you're going to walk to the bathroom or walk into the kitchen, you ought to carry a flashlight so you don't stub your toe stub your toe you're going to suffer i've stubbed my toe stumbling around in the dark have you done that you ever stubbed a toe am i the only one boy it doesn't tickle especially those little wee ones right and you hit one of those and it can hurt for days after so you take precautions to lessen your suffering carry a flashlight or put on slippers Or better yet, put on slippers and carry a flashlight. How about that? And so there are some things that we should do to try to minimize our suffering. But in suffering, there's a gift. With suffering comes a blessing. It's the fellowship of His sufferings. The closest fellowship with Jesus you will ever have on this earth are during times when you suffer. And the more you suffer, the sweeter the fellowship. John G. Patton was a famous missionary to the cannibals, uh, the cannibal natives in the New Hebrides Islands back in the uh, 1800s. And uh, he went there to win them to Jesus. But he couldn't win them all. And there were a lot of angry tribes at him. And the witch doctors were whipping the people up and inciting riot against John Patton, telling them, telling the people that their sicknesses and their chickens dying was all because of this white man coming with his wicked religion. And what the cannibals would do is they would attack each other, different tribes and so on. The winners would kill the losers and then they would cook their bodies and feast on them. That's a big victory. Uh, That's, Today, they they go out to the bar. After the game, they go out to the bar and get drunk and celebrate. But that's what they did back then in those days in the New Hebrides Islands. And John Patton, in his autobiography, told of numerous occasions where the cannibals came to kill him, to club him to death, and to eat his body. And they would surround his, his little hut. There he'd be with his wife and maybe another missionary, or two, right away they'd get on their knees because they were trapped. There's no escape. They got on their knees and they started praying and pleading with the Lord. And it wasn't long before the natives who were yelling and screaming got all confused and then left. And this happened time and time again. Amazing man, this John G. Patton. But he said... That during those times when they threatened his life and, they, and he was close to death, he had the sweetest fellowship with Jesus. Sweeter than at any other time. So intimate, so close with the Lord Jesus during those times of near death. Isn't that something? There is fellowship in suffering. And Paul learned that And no one welcomes suffering. But if it should come your way, look for the fellowship. And it can be yours. You can have it. I believe that the way you'll get it is through the power that Christ has. The way you'll get the power that Christ has is to be in intimate, close fellowship with Christ. And anything the devil throws in between you and that fellowship has got to go. It's gotta go. Romans chapter six, verse eleven. Well, let's just take a look at that, shall we? Well, we'll be right back to Philippians chapter three. Let's just quickly go over to Romans chapter six. But you know, likewise for you and for me, it's in our times of suffering that Jesus makes his his sweetest presence known. And so Paul goes on to talk about being made conformable unto his death, and in Romans chapter 6 verse 11, look what he says here. Now this is good thinking. Uh, read this verse out loud with me, please, Romans 6:11. "Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord." That is. Excellent counsel. Excellent reasoning here. And so going back to chapter 3, when he says that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, and then says being made conformable unto His death. The world does not understand those words. The world opens the Bible to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 and says it's crazy. They, 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 they want me to commit suicide? That, that, that's nuts. Well, that would be nuts because that's not what it's saying. Rather, it's saying, well, John, the Apostle John put it this way, you know, in that we need, to, uh, we need to be wary of, we need to die to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three forces. We need to count ourselves like dead to those things. It has to be reckoned. Because when you got saved, it actually happened. That's, that's what being born again is all about. And when you came to Jesus and got born again, you united with Christ so much so that like when Jesus, if, if this hand were Jesus, He was nailed to the cross. When He died, you see, you're up there with Him. When He died, you died with Him. And by the way, when He died, rose from the grave, you rose with him. And that's what baptism pictures. So in Christ, this has already happened. Now we just have to reckon it to be so. It's the proper way of accounting for our lives. And this is what Paul wanted right now. Remember, we're talking about his little autobiography, what he thought he wanted before he became a believer. Then he became saved became a believer and he realized what he had and he realized, I don't want that. That stuff's no good. And then he realized what he wanted now. And literally, if you had to boil it all down to one word, it's Christ. That's what he wanted. He wanted Jesus. And anything that stood in the way has got to go. So in verse 11, he finishes, well, we're going to finish off here, his little autobiography saying, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's not talking about a works salvation. And I'd like to say this also, that some people after they're saved, they think there's nothing more to do. They think there's nothing more required. Nothing more that can be done. And so they do nothing. And they continue to do nothing. And they figure that that's their job now, is to do nothing until one day they go home to heaven. And that couldn't be further from the truth because the Bible says we've been saved unto good works. The Bible also teaches that we are in a battle. This world is a spiritual battlefield. And it's like a race to be won. In uh, Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Every Christian man and woman is in a spiritual battle. They are in a race. And we must fight the good warfare for our Savior. Now, in verse 11, when he says, If by any means I might attain, the word attain here, means to really cross the finish line and really win the prize. This is not a very passive thing. This is a very active thing. And he was going to press with all his might. You see, remember that he wrote, I am crucified with Christ. Remember this back in Galatians chapter 2? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so this life that the Christian lives is to be a life for Jesus Christ. It's no longer a life for the old carnal things of the world. All that fool's gold, that's out the window. The only real true riches and worth and value is found in Jesus. So anything that prevents me from getting closer to Jesus is nothing but a stumbling block. It's nothing but a loss. We've got to get it out of there. We have to downsize our lives, so to speak. And so he says that he wanted to essentially win as many victories as he possibly could in order to shine like the sun forever in the kingdom of God. So in verse 11, when he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There's a couple of resurrections spoken of in the Bible. The one that concerns us will happen at the rapture. Whether the rapture happens tonight or whether it happens 50 years from now and most of us are gone, that's when the resurrection will happen for us because that's when we will receive resurrection bodies. If we happen to be in heaven, we'll come back to earth, the Lord will reunite us with a resurrection body. Then we which are alive and remain shall be changed. We shall be caught up with them and will meet the Lord in the air and hallelujah, forever we'll be with the Lord. That's our resurrection. That's the resurrection for the church, the church people. Now that's the one we're, we're interested in. The resurrection of the dead for us Christians, will happen up at the rapture. And that's when we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not to determine if we're saved or not. We're already saved through faith in Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will determine if there's anything that He can reward for us. Have we run the race? Have we, like Paul, tried to attain? Have we given it our all? And that's what Jesus will look for. You know, it's happened more than once. After horrific battles on the battlefield during the world wars, some of these poor soldiers came back home missing limbs, missing one or both eyes having scars that they would carry for life. But these were their badge of honor. Queens, prime ministers, presidents, and kings have paid much honor and tribute to those faithful soldiers who suffered on the battlefield. For the freedom of those at home. When you and I stand before Jesus. Is there anything there that he can reward? What have we done? That he can reward. That's what the judgment seat is all about. So we need to bring the study to a conclusion tonight. Many people in life realize too late. That the things that they were pressing hard for. The things they thought were worthwhile, the things they counted as gain, they realized too late, oh, their loss. Many people, well, there's actually an old saying that many a man will sacrifice his health in order to gain wealth. And then he'll turn around and sacrifice his wealth in order to gain his health. Many people Go through life with the wrong idea, the wrong impression. And this can happen to Christians too. Not realizing what are the real true priorities and where the gold really is. And we think it's over here when really it's over there. The gold is only found in Jesus. And if Jesus Christ is not your reason for getting up in the morning, then that's a wasted day. Even if you go and make a million dollars, that's a wasted day. That is not a gain. That is a loss. So anything that stands in between you and me and Jesus has got to go. It has to go. So I ask you, are you learning more, more and more, what is really important in life? Are you learning God's will for your life? Are you discarding worldly things that you once held so dear? Are you trying to attain unto the resurrection of the dead like how Paul put it? Are you pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God? Because one day your life will be over on earth. Your life here is going to be done. And the question is what will your little autobiography have to say about you? Let's pray now together.